Ooh. Ooh. Ho, ho, ho. It's oh, the wrong, wrong time, time of the year for that. <laughs> wrong time of the year. Valentine Santa. I am the Valentine Santa. Love, love, love. That's the Valentine's Dracula. You're listening to The John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean-American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean, American, and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Welcome back to The John Chi Show. It is us, KJ, Nathan, Patrick, present again, coming into your ear holes through... Earpods or present and accounted for uh, stereo speakers, fellas. How are you doing? It, it got me at ear holes. I was like, "Why does that sound like dirty?" I don't know. <laughs> Interesting. I'm doing pretty good. When's right. this coming out? Uh, I think you'll be on this baby year. leave. This is okay. coming yeah. out in one, two, three weeks. Okay. All right. Yeah. Three weeks removed from today. I'm doing pretty good. I think <laughs> he's deep in the diapers. I'm deep in diaper land. I think Happy Lunar New Year, or maybe not, uh, is coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Happy Lunar New Year this weekend. Um, happy Lunar anyone, New Year. To anyone listening on time. And if you're not listening on time, well... That's cool. Thanks for catching up or listening ahead. I don't know how time works. Maybe they're um, listening in reverse. Patrick, how? why do we call ourselves the John Chi Show? We call ourselves the John Chi Show because John Chi in Korean means to feast or to banquet. And you don't feast or banquet without celebrating. And we celebrate together by talking about our stories and our experiences as Korean-American adoptees, sometimes with a guest, sometimes with ourselves. And at the end of every show, we try a snack or a drink or something that we've never tried before, generally from Korea, sometimes not. (laughs) Supposedly. That we've never tried before. Allegedly. Okay. I just, allegedly from Korea. Yes. Some, supposedly <laughs> it's something not. that we've never had before, supposedly. And <laughs> also it may or may not be from Korea. And if we have had it before, maybe it's a variation of that thing. Or mm-hmm. it's the same thing and we forgot. Or we've um, forgotten. We've That's mm-hmm. happened before. In, yeah, a, so. in a similar vein of explaining things, Nathan, why are you wearing a Hawaiian shirt when you previously <laughs> confessed to us there is snow <laughs> on the ground where you are? Yes. Uh, well, to, this weekend was my daughter's uh, fourth birthday, so we had a little celebration each day. Uh, essentially, today was the celebration with my uh, parents that came down. And I don't know my my dad always wears a Hawaiian shirt. Oh, not always. He wears a Hawaiian shirt frequently, and so um, and we are currently in the works of planning a family vacation in, to a warm tropical location. So I just I was feeling tropical, so I wore the shirt. So. All right. Feeling tropical. Um, Tell and, them how you feel and, about yes. that, Vlad. That's okay. Patrick called me a dad, the, or I guess both of you called me the most dad thing ever. And uh, <laughs> you know what? I'm okay with that. Thank I mean, you. You got you three kids. Dad. Yeah. <laughs> Vlad. I don't know. What, what is Vlad? How's Vlad feeling? I mean, he just took a big old poop. I can't smell it, but it's over there. I saw him do it. I can, I can see the litter box from here. Get right. used to the poop. And I don't know what he wants. <laughs> Just making noise. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah. So it's not it's not children in the background. It's Vlad. No, uh, that's Vlad. <laughs> that's the child we've always had. He's a teenager, so he, you know, is just being a teen. Aren't Emo. cats born as teenagers? 
Is that how that works? I'm pretty oh. sure. I think they're teenagers till they die. It's seven year, I think, is what the average was. One year human, seven years cat life. No, that's dogs. It's similar, I thought. Yeah, I don't know. You hear um, it? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's in the background of one of my <laughs> conversation piece episodes it's right at the end, so it's not bad, but I'm like, bro, shut up. Uh, it's really throwing me off. Um, okay, well, so today we are, it's just the three of us, and we are just banking the three of us. banking episodes because mm-hmm. Patrick is going to be gone, mm-hmm. and we don't want things to be too interrupted, and also give time mm-hmm. Pat, give Patrick time to be a new dad. Um, but I was, I was thinking about the John Chi Show and other platforms like it, um, and the idea of storytelling. And I was struck by, so I've started listening to this new book. It's called One Religion Hurts. Um, and it's by a, uh, therapist, PhD, um, very intelligent author, but she opens the book kind of talking through her story. Some of the big parts of her story with regards to religious trauma, um, And she ends the story by saying, I didn't, I could explain more, but for the purposes of this book, I'd rather focus more on the healing than on the story. And I think that there, Mm. she says, and I'm paraphrasing here, we live in such a a voyeuristic culture of like telling stories that like sometimes you have to like tell your story in a way that other people can be like, oh yeah, now I know for sure that this is what you went through and how horrible is that, blah, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff. And then that somehow that gives you the ability to speak into whatever it is you're about to speak into or, you know, something like that. Um, And it just got me thinking about (laughs) us and like, what... What are we doing here? Are we doing a bad thing? Do we think it's <laughs> is it uh are we talking we too much? Well, it was just what like should we, we should we be putting our stories out there in the way that we are? Is there a better way to talk about and not the three of us particularly, because I think we have moved on and and we really do focus on our growth as people and as adoptees, but with our guests and those kinds of things, obviously storytelling is important. It's a it's an important part of our adoptee culture. And is there a way that maybe we're perpetuating something that is less than ideal? Or is our community still in in its current iteration, still in that like, well, we still need to find our storytelling ability first. And just to make sure I'm clear on the question, you're talking about specifically the community, like the adoptee community. Yeah, I mean, and as much Not as like, like just individually adoptees or just storytelling in general, but kind of specifically adoptees as a community telling their stories. Yeah, and I guess specifically just uh, to even narrow it down more is my experience with like the Korean slash Asian adoptee community has all often been dominated by some version of like, oh man, I met up with these people and we started trading stories about our adoption or growing up and all that kind of stuff. And it was just like, I never thought, you know, whatever. So like a a common term is trauma bonding, but I'm I'm also Uh. thinking more specifically about the people who do storytelling out loud, whether it's platforms like podcasts, like Adapted, like the John G Show, like any of those kinds of things, whether it's bloggers, whether it's uh, social media content creators, those kinds of things. If you're telling your story out loud, do we propagate a voyeur or perpetuate um, a voyeuristic culture in a way that maybe isn't super helpful to adoptees, while even though it's helping adoptees feel seen? Hmm, I think it's a good question. I don't know. I think storytelling in this particular way, or 
just storytelling in general in a pub in any public sphere naturally is voyeuristic. I don't think that there's any way you can get around that. I think the question really is, and when you asked the question originally, I was thinking about, well, my initial thought was like, well, I don't know if there's like better ways. There's probably, there's probably different ways because I think it's maybe not the means of telling the story, but the story itself and like how you talk about your own story or how you talk about stories situated within the larger community and the fabric of said community. I think that one way that we can perpetuate harmful tropes or harmful attitudes about our community is when we situate one experience, our own experience or one type of experience, i.e. positive or negative or whatever it might be, as the end-all, be-all of experiences. And that we talk about it in absolute terms as in, this is the way it is. And if you don't talk about it this way, or if you don't utilize your platform in a specific way that informs and amplifies this specific narrative, then you're doing it wrong. I think that is very harmful. And I think that goes to whether it be wholly positive stuff or wholly negative stuff, or even if you're operating in the gray space, like not constantly or consistently taking a look and taking a step back at what you're doing and how you're doing it and the stories that you're telling. If you are telling multiple people's stories or trying to amplify and give platform to multiple people. Um, I think that's the responsibility that I've kind of come to see from this, like doing this show, you know, like it's like a real privilege to be able to do that. And I think you have to take that into account and be aware that at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to be exhaustive of everybody's experience and story. And you're not going to be able to truly fully represent every aspect or experience that comes with being adopted. Yeah, and so, totally yeah, I don't know that it's, I don't, I don't think that we're doing it wrong. I don't, honestly, I don't think anybody's doing it wrong. Even people that I disagree with, I think it's great. I think they all deserve to exist, but I think, and they should, if you want to do it. But I think, it becomes problematic when we start to perpetuate singular narratives at the expense of other people. And we start doing the work of invalidation when that already happens to us from external forces. Yeah. No, I think you're completely right on that. The, the invalidation part um, and delivering your story as the only story or the correct story that I think is, is definitely harmful. And I have heard that from some people, uh, invalidating other stories. And I, and I've always felt so just, you know, turned off after that kind of a, a connection where I'm like, well, I mean, you know, after the three years that we've been doing this, we've heard so many different stories, some stories we, uh, you know, relate to and totally resonate with like what they're saying. And other times it's like, no, that's not really how we, you know, maybe view something or a particular situation, but we never say stop. That's wrong. You know, we, right. we I mean, we're always open to understanding the different views. And I think that's what, um, I mean, if you look at other things, not just storytelling, look at politics, look at, you know, anything that people can disagree on. A lot of times when you're closed minded on a subject, it's, it's harmful. Um, and that's, it, it 
causes a divide and there is divide within the adoptee community. We've seen it, you know, and, um, I think, uh, eventually, hopefully people come around to, you know, correcting their mistakes and going, Oh, wait, maybe I should listen to this side because, um, even though it's not what, you know, what happened to me or what, uh, I think should happen, I need to listen to it. And, and it's, it's valid. And, uh, and I've been seeing more and more of that. And that's why I think our storytelling is important is because it does, um, provide more options of different types of stories out there when we hear it from other people. And I think that hearing those options and those stories creates that open-mindedness. At least that's for me, it does. Yeah. I definitely yeah, think we try to do that. So we're not perfect for sure. <laughs> I just want to put that out there, okay. but I think we try. Speak for yourself, bro. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not out here trying to say anyone is wrong or anything. I am actually. It's 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 more the um, the voyeurism that is in, was the interesting word to me in that. In like the um, I don't know. Just in in the idea of crafting a story, you have to have your character. Um, you don't have to, I guess, but like common common trope of storytelling is like your character, your hero goes through like a dark night of the soul, has to face some type of hardship, you know, whatever. And there's this thing in memoirs, in the books that I feel like my wife tells me she's reading. In I think also just in my own examination of ableism. Um, is like, oh yeah, like holding up, um, putting on a pedestal, a person who goes through like a, like a Helen Keller, like who goes through a a horrible thing or, um, anyone who survives a genocide or anyone Mm -hmm. who survives, you know, sexual assault or other types of like kind of big T traumatic things. And, um, it, but it's the it's the voyeurism that is interesting to me, and I know that like people who come on our show, we capture them at a specific moment in time, and they often will tell the the story of their life through the lens of who they are at that time. Um, it's just like I don't know. It was just interesting to me to think about like, oh yeah, maybe that's um, I don't know. Like, is it it's good for us, and maybe it's less than helpful to the broader non-adoptee space or adoptee adjacent space of um maybe it diversifies the narrative maybe it doesn't i don't know it was just it was just an interesting kind of thought and i was just like the, the i think the what for maybe broad american culture is voyeurism is for adoptee culture is just like we just need to be seen. It's nice to hear these stories because as we've experienced on the show, some stories are like, oh, we know these beats, we recognize this, you know, this, that, and the other. And sometimes someone will tell their story and we're like, we have no idea what you've experienced. Please tell us more. And that's so fascinating, you know? And and so just like, so it, it is just kind of interesting. And, and we do have a number of people come on the show who say, I feel like my stories, I've listened to a lot of your interviews and my story is different. And I want to add something to that pie, which I love. I think it is so mm-hmm. good. Um, it's just kind of interesting um, thing to to think about. What part of it do you think is or could maybe potentially be not helpful to <laughs> non-adopted or adoptee adjacent spaces from however it is that we do our storytelling or just storytelling in general? Um, I think that there's still like... I'm still really caught up in the idea that for many adoptees, the language that is used to describe their life story 
at at least begins with the original mythology of their adoption, which is handed down to us by those who adopted, right? And so I sure. think that like maybe it's maybe it's that that's not helpful because it it can kind of if you're not particular about it, maybe your story grows out of right. The okay, wrong so point for other view. people who are hearing, like they are situating your story and like your origin point here. Well, even, it's though, even like even like we like um like we took the the intentional approach to say, you know, um we want to say tell us your story. We don't want to we right, don't right. want you to say tell us your adoption story whatever because we think that you are more than just adopted and we're curious about your adoption. We think that you are like your whole person and we you know all these kinds of things. We we try to help um subtly or maybe not so subtly guide an adoptee into their own agency around telling their story. And even while doing that, for many of us, I'm not sure that we have developed the ability to start with our own language. Like we haven't, maybe it's impossible to do, re, reclaimed or rewritten the narrative of our adoption in a way that centers us because it so often is a, I mean, it is a thing that happened to us. So maybe it's impossible. I don't know. It's just just interesting to like, to reimagine, to rethink how you would tell your adoption story wholly from your own perspective in like active present tense voice, as opposed to like, I was adopted from South Korea at six and a half months old. And then I moved to to Dallas, Texas. And then my, you know, whatever that, that kind yeah. of thing, like it just always starts generally with like, this is just like quote unquote the facts, but like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I think to your point that of like language, I think we are s- really getting to this area now where like adoptees are actually developing the language, which I'm so like big on using the adoptee consciousness models version of what it means to like come to consciousness essentially, as opposed to coming out of the fog only because like that is the difference between adoptee created and centered language versus adoptive parent created, but adoptee centered language. Like they created that term to center the adoptee experience of coming to consciousness, but it wasn't an adoptee that created. I think it's big too, because the idea of coming to consciousness is not a one size fits all. It's not right. like uh, everyone knows the fog that we're talking about. Right, 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 right. It's the, no, everyone knows what it means to become conscious is you become conscious and then you have like a whole, you know, 80, hopefully 80 plus years of development into growing into your identity and who you right. are. It allows for much more complexity and assumes a lot less about where you came from. Well, and I think that's why, yeah, and I think it's why I've, like, personally, when I think about, you know, how do we rewrite and retell the, our stories through this language, I think it gives us that opportunity to, because instead of going just through the factual beats of it, like, we can tell our story from this idea of status quo, to rupture, to dissonance, to forgiveness and activism, and I'm, can't I'm blanking on the fourth stage that comes right before that one and is after dissonance but um like we and then again to your point of like oh we have 80 more years we came to consciousness we we escaped the status quo and we went through kind of like these five stages at a really early age and we have more time to kind of fill out and tell our story through this lens it shrinks that amount of time that you stay in the status quo um to where you can spend more time like really understanding what it means to hold this identity or be a part of this community or identify it with it however you want to. And I think that 
man, what was I going to say? I think that, I don't know. I just think, I think the model itself, because it's been created by a cohort of adoptees in academia to help us really understand this experience from like that level, like it allows us to now tell our stories in a different way that maybe can um, transcend this voyeuristic idea of what it means to tell our stories for people outside of the experience. Instead of just going through the factual beats of, oh, I was adopted, the model serves as a way to tell your story how you want to tell it in adoption as a part of it. Oh, I remember what I was going to say, because I had a conversation the other day with someone and we were talking about their story and I was just, I kept thinking to myself, man, it really feels like, I really feel like in my questioning, like the questions I came up for this interview, I'm boxing you into this like adoptee thing is all of your identity. Yes. And I was like, I don't, I, I didn't feel very good about that. Even though it was like a big part of it, like that's not the only thing that you are. And I brought up on my social media the other day, the adoptee identity and why I identify as that. And, but the importance of recognizing that not everybody identifies as like an adoptee, like, and how that affects your story and how that plays into it, you know, is up to you. And it's informed and influenced by all these different things. And at the end of the day, none of us are just adoptees. We're just adopted or whatever, however you want to describe yourself in relation to this experience. Um, we are much, much more than that. And I think the model allows us to tell the story in a different way that doesn't, that centers us as adoptees, but doesn't make us I don't know. It doesn't like doesn't have to always be like, oh, this is all that I am. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's like how I'm how it's like playing out in my head to get away from the idea of how do we tell our or not get away from. But how do we tell our stories differently for these other audiences? That's Again, not just factually based. I was adopted. Then this happened. It was terrible or it was good. And then this happened. And now I found other people who are adopted and it doesn't just always come back to adoption, adopted, adoptee. Well, I feel that changes based on the audience that you're telling your story to as well. Um, I always feel like when I talked about my adoption story that it changes. It's not always the same um, based on on maybe just what I've learned over the last you know week or maybe I came to realization that something was different or I learned something new. Um, you know, from my biological family or something like that. So I, I feel like it can always change and it's never just one story. Um, and it's like adapting and changing with, with, uh, the people that I'm telling it to who I may have already told something to, and, you know, I just wanted to fill in some extra information. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's what, that's what I'm talking about though, Nathan is maybe, and, and Patrick, you talking and, and explaining some of that, like has really kind of helped unlock this. Cause I, I mean, I literally had this, this thought an hour before we started recording. So it's not very mature at all. Um, but I think it's the idea of maybe our show, because we want it to be a platform that amplifies adoptive voices and adoptive voices, the audience of, a, of an adoptee speaking up is so often a non-adopted person, mm -hmm. like no, someone that's like either not related to the adoption triangle or um, is like a part of a part of the adoption triangle that is not an adoptee. And so it like, I feel like, and, and I think the thing that stuck out to me around the idea of voyeurism is maybe we are telling our stories in a way that for better or for worse, whatever narrative we're fighting against, whether, um, 
I guess broad strokes, whether like adoption is bad and you should stop it because I had a super traumatic experience or my adoption was great and I'm so happy and whatever, um, and maybe consider stop, <laughs> you know, whatever, <laughs> wherever you land on that spectrum, like maybe the way that we tell our stories and, and, and the, even the conceit of shows like ours or, or platforms and, and other mediums like ours is like, we play into the voyeurism too much. We, try to tell our story in a way that like gives us street cred for the audiences that we hope might be listening so that we can advocate for change or something like that. I don't know. And and I think that it it leads me into a topic that's been on our board for a long time around the idea of documentary versus fictional narratives. Because I, I wonder, um, like documentaries, I just have these notes. Maybe they're my own thoughts. Maybe they're from somewhere else and they're not my own thoughts um but documentaries tell stories as they are they help people feel seen and we as a community for maybe a large part still need to feel seen uh and maybe that's not even like a maybe that's not like a community thing so much as it is like the sum of its parts thing like all of us individually still feel need to still feel that need to be seen on a like a just a high percentage level even if the adoptive community might be larger within itself be like no we feel we see each other and that's enough uh whereas so that's like the idea of like we still need to feel seen documentaries tell the story as they are in in some ways you could argue that our show is documentary-esque memoir-esque um whereas fictional narratives tell stories as they could be they help people dream and i think that like that's maybe where we are starting to see some growth, have seen some continued growth, but are still really falling shy in terms of changing the narrative by changing the target audience, by changing the medium. We break out of this kind of idea of voyeurism. We break out of this idea of this is how we always tell our stories. And we can talk about what are we dreaming about? What are we aspiring towards? What are we hoping for? You know, all of that kind of stuff. Like what do adoptees dream about in a way that um, helps push the narrative forward, maybe just in a, from a different direction uh, or from a different angle. Patrick is dreaming about wearing my uh, Hawaiian shirt as he becomes a dad. <laughs> False. <laughs> um, that's a good question. Um, I think that from a documentary standpoint, and like telling our stories how they are, I think, well, okay. I want to go back to what you said about maybe at the individual level, we all still want to be seen, but as a community, we feel like we see each other. Unfortunately, I don't know that that's true. I think that we yeah, can I just trick mean, ourselves into, into believing that it is, but there are certain things happening right now that make leads me to believe that it is difficult for us to do so. Well, it also um, depends on like the scope of the community, but I think very like, true. It just like I think there is more chance of like feeling seen in an adoptee space that can meet that need, even while individually many of us might still feel the need to be sure. seen. Yeah, I mean, I think I've been talking about this for a while um, regarding the fictional narrative. Like, we can always use more documentaries, more real life tellings, because they. I think that those types of things bolster what we can tell from a fictional narrative standpoint and perspective like having more of those it's like you tell a, a what we're dreaming about like you tell this fictional tale of 
that includes adoptee or adoption related issues like sense of belonging or searching and work that in. And I think when you look at how this was produced or written and you realize, oh, this is why this exists and goes that way, you can then go back to the documentary esque things that exist out there and use that to then bolster whatever it is that you want to learn or that you start to learn because of you or because you watch the said fictional narrative. Um, I think that we are starting to see it a little bit. I just had Sarah Meyer on the show. Uh, they're a Korean adoptee. They're a comic book artist and writer, and they put out a graphic novel called monstrous, a transracial adoption story. And at the end of the day, it probably is more, autobiographical or memoir-esque because it is kind of their it's it's their story but it is presented in a way that like if if it didn't have the subtitle of or the subheading of a transracial adoption story and you just read it as monstrous and then you were just reading this and you didn't realize oh this is based on a real person's story you could uh, take it as fictional like you could be like, oh they just made this up and whatever whatever the case is and for me i feel like this particular work blurs the line of narrative and documentary storytelling in a way that I think we really need and are severely lacking right now because it depicts this experience in such a way that I feel like it's so visceral. And I feel like you don't have to be an adoptee to understand how external forces can build up this monster inside of you. And it gets depicted in a really visceral and, and, and visual way. Um, it's really it's it's really incredible honestly i've said it a couple times but like one of the best depictions of that experience that i think i've ever seen um narrative or fictional or documentary and i think that if we can get to it i don't know it's just i like the idea of being able to dream like for the fictional narrative to like capture those dream moments and what we want to see my biggest concern honestly comes back to will will the contingent of the community who does not feel seen by said fictional narrative that comes out do things that invalidate said people or invalidate the people who do feel seen by it and then we find ourselves in not the same but similarly a blue bayou scenario where and uh, taking the appropriation part out of it, the appropriation of a story out of it, where because we are, we just so want, we're so desperate to have this representation and validation that is exhaustive, that covers all the bases, that gets it right and is 100% perfect. Like we, when it's not that, we like, we go to work on each other and it's not good. And I, I think at the end of the day, we need the fictional because that's what's going to change the push the narrative forward, especially with audiences outside of our community. And if we are fighting with each other over the way this is being depicted and we're invalidating each other because we don't like that you're either supporting it or that this person wrote it and had this involvement in it. And it's like, oh, well, their experience doesn't match up with mine. Like we put ourselves in this box and it sucks. And I don't, I'm, I'm probably getting away from the original question here, but that's just, I, I feel like recent things have been really weighing heavily on my mind when it comes to the community aspect. And when it comes to these fictional versus documentary narratives, it's like, we need them both. 
and they both exist and it's all valid. And, and, and at the end of the day, when you think about how we change an intangible narrative, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the line, 50 years down the line, those fictional things are what's going to help move it forward more so than the documentary. But the documentary being there is going to help bolster what people will want to come and learn about after having seen that fictional narrative. So all that to say, a whole bunch of stuff. We need a, we need both of those things. And like they they serve each other. And if you want to create it, I think you should have the opportunity to do so. And I would love to see other people come out and support you and make that happen. I mean, do the things that I'm going to say make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think, you know, it, I like, think it does. I realize it's a bunch of different thoughts. Um, well, this is what we get when we try to bank episodes, is we get a real heady conversation. Well, because I'm and- also in the space <laughs> now realizing that this is also a conversation that's coming out three weeks later. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. just like, how do I capture this, again, this moment in time? But well, I think our listeners are smart enough to realize that we're we're playing with the timeline. Uh, sure. The sacred we branch has been destroyed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I just watched Loki, so I'm like very up on <laughs> TV yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, it's just, and I think this is an, an evergreen conversation in that we can always be pushing for more. We can always be pushing for better. Uh, in the case of like a Blue Bayou situation, we can celebrate the win and push for, for more. And in the case of Joyride, we can celebrate a win and push for more. Like right. in the case of really any documentary, and not the documentaries are perfect. Obviously, they all come in like with their own uh, points of view and their own biases exactly. and their own producers mm-hmm. and their own like financial backers and all that kind of stuff, right? So like, like nothing is ever clean and straightforward and easy. Uh, and that I think is what we run up against, right? Because... Patrick, right. everything that you were saying is like, yes, we need more all of it. And it's like, yeah, but doesn't that also just go back into feeding the voyeurism of, and maybe that maybe voyeurism is inescapable for an American citizen. Maybe that is just the, that's the inescapable monster of the world that we live in right now is we're just like, oh, wow. Like, like kind of the win maybe of DEI is like, oh, look at all these stories to like, to explore and think about. But then you're like, but I don't have to live with that. And now I'm just like thinking, I don't know, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. And it becomes like too abstract. And then it's, yeah. So it's just a, it's a weird, it's a weird space. It's a weird time. Um, I was just so fascinated with the idea of, I've never heard it called out as, voyeurism as the culture being voyeurism and yet there is something and specifically to get back to the the original point of uh a trauma traumatic story and the voyeurism of it there's something that i feel in the culture of fiction broadly but maybe other other um culture books and and media and whatnot uh where there's something is shifting towards this more like heightened state of voyeurism. And so authors are like, or uh, directors, writers are trying to be like, oh yeah, well we got to, if we play into this, it sells okay. better. And then that, because it's selling better then we, you know, like that kind of thing. So it's just, right, just right, kind right, of right. that, it was just like a really um, poignant observation about the culture right now, broadly in 2024 in America that I was like, oh, this is, this is interesting. I was I was curious about that, and then I was like, "Yeah, what are we doing 
in that space. Are we also leaning into that? Should we be leaning into that? Is that good thing, bad thing? Are you trying to get us to start a TikTok? <laughs> that kind of thing. I'm, not, I'm still not going to do it. Nope. Okay. No, I, I definitely, no. I think I misunderstood originally what you were talking about when well, I it came to the even, voyeurism. Couldn't but no, even it explain makes, what no, I was No, it makes total about. sense now because I think I get what you're saying. Like people today, it, like we play into it, like you just said. Yeah. Like we play to that nature, that idea that, oh, we want to consume other people's stories um, to feed or say whatever internal thing, even if we call it, un, even if it's under the guise of, oh, I'm represented or I'm seen or validated in that way. Or for other people who just, I don't want to say get off on seeing other, <laughs> like just consuming other people's stories. Um, I would say that, I don't think that we do play into that. I think that we, if we do, it's it's unintentional because we've never had a conversation about like, how should we tailor a story? The biggest change maybe that was made, and I think it actually moves away from that, was when we changed the question from tell us your adoption story to just tell us your story. I think it it like gives the 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 guest the option to explore and, and share their story and, and start the conversation wherever they want. It doesn't necessarily have to be adoption. It maybe it goes with the show and the topic of the show. Like, okay, I'm going to talk about implied. adoption. The right, subtext right. is there. <laughs> right, right, right. But um, I don't think that we like play into it. And I think that that's what I've learned through doing this show and doing other shows now is like a lot of people for better or for worse, honestly, and just in general in society, not just adoptees, but like it's a privilege to know anything about anybody else and to hear somebody tell you their story and know in whatever terms that they share it with you as. And we take that for granted every single day. And I think that's the voyeuristic nature of it. Like we just sit and consume and consume. And yeah. we think that yes. that's okay. And especially if we don't reciprocate or especially if we're doing it because like, Again, well, not like even it that it's feeds like, something. Not even that it's okay, just that it's normal. It just is. Right, like, exactly. There is no qualifier. Exactly. It just is. A hundred percent. And I think that is, I think if we could understand and recognize, oh, this is a privilege for me to be the receiver of said person's story. It plays into like mindfulness. It plays into all of like, a bunch of different concepts of just the idea of being present in in somebody's thing and not thinking like listening to somebody's story and being like oh i got something to say respond to this as or whatever it is um but we're just like we we're just consumers like we are just we take you know and like you said it's normal now it's become it's like and been internalized as a society to a point that it's just like this is what we do we just absorb and I mean, I don't think that it's inescapable, but I do think it is close enough to a singularity where it's really difficult to get away from it, even like just as an individual, you know, and like you have to constantly be aware, oh, am I operating in this way? Like, am I just consuming this person's story for X, Y, or Z reason? And yeah. Nathan, thoughts? Thoughts. I just listen to you guys talk. <laughs> Nathan's like, uh, let's go to the food now. I'm I was like, like, do the food. I was like, no, I agree with everything you guys said. I mean, I I also believe <laughs> I that concur. It's not, I concur <laughs> with with everything, and I understand what where you're coming from, KJ. Um, I mean, the first thing that I started thinking of when you started talking about the whole subject was, are you talking about like performative? Uh, like, are we trying to be too much to just you know 
to provide content for the voyeurisms voyeuristic people out there is that also something well that i mean i think of? that's like the that's like the snake eating its tail right is right. Yeah. late stage capitalism is we're just up in constant consumerism and i've actually mm. i personally have run into this i no longer have anything to stream all the things that i've binged i'm like yeah. i'm caught up on maybe they're releasing weekly and so i have like days where i'm like i don't have a new video game i don't have like a mm. book. i mean i've just started a new book so that's a little you know but i'm like i don't have a new video game i don't have like a tv show or anything that i'm watching or that, like i'm re-watching something with sarah but like whatever uh you know like i was just like i got i don't know there's so much time where i'm just so then i'm like well what do i do with myself better myself no <laughs> you know it's just and, and and i think that that's that's such a unique space but yeah i think it is just the we are consumers and the, the, i don't know there's just a lot and i think yeah. you know lots of people will go through life and not think about this and i think that right. we as as podcast hosts as uh people who are trying to do a thing for a community we need to um do our part to be a little bit more intentional and and think about these things. And it, part of our mission is with the John G show is to explore our stories as adoptees and as, uh, as, as people and as we grow and change. And so um, we are creating content and doing this out loud for the benefit of other people. But I think it is, you know, it's, it's just like, we should just be a little bit more intentional and think about it. I don't think that we're doing anything wrong. I've never really yeah, thought yeah. about that, but it's more just like, I've never really thought to question it either. And I think that was the, the really the whole impetus for today's discussion. Yeah. I like, I, I like it. And I think it's really hard. And I'm now I'm, th- I'm really thinking about like the fictional aspect of it. And I'm like, I'd really love to hear some filmmakers answer this question or at least discuss it in the way. And like, hear their process of like, how do we deal with this? Or do we even think about it? Because I yeah. think it's just like, oh, we're just trying to get, we're trying to option our shit and get paid, <laughs> you know, and make money <laughs> and live in our bids. life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so our it's like, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah, very interesting. Good conversation. Good question. Yeah. Sorry I talk so much. <laughs> no, it's, uh, you know what? It is what it is. I have is. a lot of thoughts. <laughs> it's, uh, it's also like, this is what happens when I come up with an idea with not a lot of prep time is, uh, I think you and I think quicker, faster, Patrick, you and I think quicker out loud and Nathan, you're like, yeah. oh, no, let me like, let me get back to you in a couple of days. I'm like, but we're recording right now. Uh, I agree. I'm happy, I'm happy to sit here and just nod. Honestly, you guys, <laughs> it's great. No one can see me nodding, content. but I was agreeing. Yeah, yeah it's good. Yeah. It's just yeah, learning. Yeah. I mean, I do, I, I think well when I'm just speaking out loud, which is why I'm good at, by myself, alone, in my home. <laughs> I can just talk and I'll be like, oh, just talk yeah, that loud. makes sense. Talk to himself in the mirror. Siri, press record. <laughs> oh. Well, well we can note. do food now. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, back to the John G show. show. It is time to <laughs> snack. Well, <laughs> there goes oh, the remaining on, parts man. of my eardrum. Yeah, that, that was hurt. good. I was just throwing in some, nope. some mukbang. You need to so. you need to hold up a little sign that says I'm going to crinkle into the microphone so I can turn the we'll volume crinkle down. Crinkle into <laughs> microphone. Yeah. Well, Actually, I blame myself for not realizing that that was going <laughs> to do something. Come on, you know me by now. That's true. I do. It's always you? different. Um, yeah. So today we are having a 
chip. And I'll, I'll be honest, the first time I saw this chip, I had no clue what it said. It says Basak chip. But at first, I thought it said Basilisk. And I was like, what's this? Snake chips? What is this? Um, snake chips. Yeah. And then it said upcycled on it. But it, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's got a whole bunch of, uh, you know, different things on the front that I have not translated yet. So. Okay. My favorite thing. This already is getting five whatever's five chips for me <laughs> because the little mascot on the back is holding a sign that says for us and earth. And I'm almost positive that he just got done smoking some weed <laughs> because he looks high as hell. He <laughs> looks higher than Snoopy. He kind of looks like the South Park uh, towelie. <laughs> oh yeah. Towelie. Yeah. He does. What is it though? Is it a sponge? No, it's a box. It looks like a little box. It looks cardboard. like a box, box of cigarettes. Yeah. Hey, someone wants <laughs> to call in and explain what upcycled means to it's true. us three I idiots. That would be that, great. 972-677-8867. Yeah, that's, La Palma. that's new. It also gives some sort of an instruction below it. Step one, step two, step three. And I have no clue what it's telling us. I think us you use it as like chips. an ingredient in something else. Oh, you could put or you it like bake it or something. Ramen, maybe? You could... Turn it into a sushi. Okay, what does really it say? Know. I don't know. I took off the. I already opened it. I don't. I oh no, it's the bottom, it. bottom right. Oh, it's that very business? confusing. Yeah, yeah. It's like instructions. I do not know. Oh, hey, this I expires on my birthday. Legit, no yeah. idea. There you go. All right, Happy so it's, birthday. I just saw it in, the first ingredient is rice grits and then rice. Mm-hmm. So mm. interesting. So we're in this for a is rice. Made chip. by a CJ. CJ. So, Thanks, CJ. All right, it's looks like it looks like a, a popcorner to me. That's the first. Yeah, thing it I smells it like, like cardboard. I don't it's know if you smell it. But it's it smells multicolored. Like it's not just white. It's actually white and like brown, and it's a triangle. Oh, mine's a circle. Yeah, hmm. sometimes it's a triangle. Sometimes it's a circle. Oh, what? Well, they got both in there. It feels like Man, it, it looks all like kinds communion. Of geometry going on. Body of Christ. Mm. <laughs> in remembrance of me <laughs> and also with you I don't remember the rest of the song right? wow. <laughs> and also with you <laughs> <laughs> okay so the first thing I notice about these triangle and round chips is that they're concave what? it's like got a lip on it yeah huh. oh yeah I see what you mean mm-hmm. it's, like a, it's almost like a dip yeah, you could dip use chip. it as a dip dip chip or something. <laughs> like if a Doritos had like a rim or like an edge on it. Ma'am. Every time I eat this round one, now that's all I'm thinking about is communion. Is yeah. it totally almost it tastes like it? It's saltier, but uh, I don't know. Was I just talking bad. about that on this show? How I went to a I went to oh no, it was with Leah. Uh I went to a Catholic grade school, and that was one of the things that made me feel othered because. Oh yeah, because you couldn't. Take yeah, I couldn't go up and take. But you had to go Friday up there mass. and no, cross I, your. No, I just I had to sit in the pew and just watch oh, everybody do it. Oh which no! Was, yeah, which was way worse. Wow. We've talked about it. Yeah, because okay. I was like, you could have just gone up in the line, but then cross yourself. Yeah. No, they made me feel like I couldn't go up in the line. Throwing up the X. That's because you weren't in on the secret club. So that's yeah. your fault. I know. And I was like, Mom, let's be Catholic. And they're like, No. <laughs> All right. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay. Hmm. Well, these are growing on me. 
TBAs. Yeah, it's I didn't not like, bad. I didn't it's, like the first one. Liking now this, this is like one. opposite of all the other snacks we've had this year so far. That's true. Yeah. No, the chocolate one was baller from the. From oh the yeah, chocolate was great. Yep. That was from the start. This yeah, is actually it. Feel it's not like heavy either. No, it almost feels like lighter than popcorn to me. It's like a popcorner. It is. Yeah, but it's uh, less crunchy maybe than a popcorner. Just by yeah. a little bit. Maybe. Like it's, it's like, like, a, stuck in my it's teeth. like slightly softer than a popcorner. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah not yeah, as yeah, popcorny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's probably because it's made with rice and not popcorn. I thought you were trying to do. I was I'm not making a joke on that. I don't believe you for one <laughs> second. You just smiled into the camera, and then you looked away quickly when you <laughs> saw we weren't looking. I heard you though. Winked mm-hmm. at the camera. Mm. Yeah, these are good. Yeah, these are good. Um, <laughs> one pouch is 210 calories. Yeah, I like the. It's. Not I bad. feel like it's got the perfect amount of salt that that keeps me going back too. And sugar. You can taste the sugar in it, too. It does yeah. have I feel like I'm going to taste that sunflower oil. No. Oh, I'm, I, excuse me. The sun sunflower oil. <laughs> sunflower. <laughs> yeah, sunflower oil. Flower. I had to go, nice. I'm like, wait, is that a D? <laughs> it, it was. <laughs> I was not mistaken. All right. Ratings. I'm giving this a five. Okay. I really like it. I don't like that it smells like cardboard, but everything else I enjoy. You're right. I don't like the smell, but tastes. You gotta smell an individual one. Hmm. Don't it smell like cardboard? I can't smell anything. No, No. you sick. I smell more out of the bag. Still, Uh, still getting over the sickness. uh, I'll give it a. I'm gonna give it a four point five. So it's it's a good solid chip. I'm curious because this says original. Now I'm curious is what other flavors do they have? Do they, do they have cheese? Do they have, uh, Ooh, you know, chocolate, like cool ranch? Bro. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about the chocolate part. Yeah. I can do, like, I can I do a cheddar one Dorito. of these. Oh. No, this, I, this does not remind me of Doritos. I don't know why you keep saying that. No, I'm just saying it's like when you said chocolate, it made me think of like, oh yeah, just give me oh. like a chocolate Dorito. I just like chocolate and everything. Right. I, I, I like chocolate covered popcorn. Pretty good. The white cheddar popcorners, I love those. So that I could see that as this. Yeah, white cheddar. Sure. Yep. Really, yeah. any popcorn or flavor. You get like a, like you'll ever have like flex chips. Maybe not. Um, there's like a there's a buffalo ranch I've, flavor. I've had or prison like chips. That. What? No further questions. Oh, that's a whole other. The whole shebang. It's a chip that's a, a, chi- a chip that tastes like everything. These chips you could only get in prison. Interesting. It's the whole thing. Uh, yeah. You YouTube a- it. I'm going to give it a four and a half. I think original flavor is really strong. Uh, and the only thing that prevents it from being a five is I'm curious about another flavor. Um, Your own curiosity prevents it from going. Well, I think <laughs> like, I think there's a, if there's another flavor of this, it yeah, probably not, is yeah. the That's a good five. point. It's, it's a little. The white cheddar. I'm interested in the white cheddar. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I feel Korean like I definitely like need a mozzarella. drink right now. Mozzarella. Mozzarella. Um, yeah. Nacho Cool Ranch. Two back-to-back good snacks. I yep, appreciate yeah. it, Nathan. Yeah, you're welcome. And make sure you upcycle whatever that is. <laughs> I don't know. I'm pissed. Or maybe it's been upcycled. I don't know. I don't know how upcycling works. Me either. I don't think it does. Maybe Actually, that's I know it that like it cardboard. does. I take that back. I know maybe that it's like cardboard. There's a little joke. bit of cardboard in the chip. That's true. Yeah. It could be. Maybe. Um, anyways. Uh, that is it for our show. You can, gosh, I don't know how to sign off. Uh, There's so many you, things to you talk can, about. 
find <laughs> us, find the, the show on social media platforms at John Chi Show. You can go to Facebook if you want to go to a Facebook group um, instead of just hanging out with us on Instagram. Um, Nathan is there and also uh, me sometimes. Uh, mostly Nathan. Is mainly there. me. Uh, <laughs> if you want to call in again, I said this earlier, but call in and explain to us what upcycled is. That would be great. The number is 972-677-8867. Call in, ask us a question, explain upcycled to us, whatever you want to do, really. It's your voicemail box and we'll just play it probably unless it's bad. You <laughs> can leave us a rating or a review on any platform that loves, that allows you to do that. It really helps our show's discoverability and other people trust us basically when they stumble upon it. Um, you can go to the website, johnshishow.com slash support to figure out other ways to support the show. Oh yeah, duh, in the email, johnshishow.nope.johnshishow <laughs> at gmail.com. Wow. Got it. Future KJ is going to have a nightmare editing this part of the episode. It'll be great. Is that it? I think that is it. Six things. Six things in a movie. You can find me at KJ Relke wherever I want to be found on the internet. Do you know basak in Turkish means wheat? <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, but it's Does a rice it? chip. It's a rice chip. Yeah, because there's wheat on here. But in Turkish, it means wheat. There's no wheat in here. Oh, wait, it does say it contains wheat. Nathan, do you know that we're doing sign-offs right now? Sure, I do, but I just wanted to throw that one out there. because <laughs> Did you, you know? know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, you can find me and Noak on Instagram, and as you heard, Nathan Noak on Facebook. And you can find me at Patrick in the World wherever I want to be found or over on my other show, Conversation Piece with Patrick Armstrong. It's a show about the missing pieces of the conversations we're already having. Oh, dip. He's finally plugging his own stuff. I did. We, wow. I did not approve that. <laughs> the bigger question is, is, is he cross-promoting the John Chi Show oh, on Conversation point. Piece? Odds uh, are he's not because I don't think he ever talks about the John Chi Show. I talk or about the John Chi Show all the time. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you'd have to listen <laughs> to an episode. Then. Every adoptee that I have on, he comes up at least once because I have to ramp for it for whatever reason. Yeah, you should just bleep fair. out that whole part. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I talk about the bleep. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't even be bad. I wouldn't even be bad. Incredible. Um, well, that's it for our show. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. We will see you sometime in the future. We don't know how often episodes are coming out because banking and stuff. And Patrick, best... I mean, if you listen to this while you're chilling with a baby, hope that it helps you fall asleep. Um, and that you've made it's, it this far, maybe it won't. It might, yeah, you might already be sleeping. But, uh, <laughs> you know, good luck with the new baby. Um, Thank you. Happy Lunar New Year. Say hey, book money, about to say oh. Say hey, book money, about to say oh. Until next time, friends. Hey, book money, about to say oh.